It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner, joining you on this Tuesday afternoon and it's the last day of February. February has come and gone but it does mean that March Madness is upon us. The NCAA tournament is a little less than a week and a half away and what you start to see is a lot of conference tournaments that are being held right now as along with the state high school basketball tournament and the UMS Wright Lady Bulldogs are in action this afternoon just took the court against Priceville as they just tipped off and our score there is two to zero. So we want to wish the Lady Bulldogs the best of luck here today. And again, a lot going on in free agency in the NFL as well. And when you start talking about free agency, Mike, I know that when you start trying to figure out whether the Chicago Bears, who were 3-14, and 14, will they hold on to that number one draft pick or will they decide to go ahead and trade it? It's going to be something going into the combine and the draft next April that a lot of people will be talking about. Yeah, I mean, we'll spend a ton of time talking about all kinds of draft stuff, but I think the biggest story headed here into combine week is what are the bears going to do or not going to do uh with that number one pick are they going to trade out are they going to take will anderson or jalen carter will they possibly trade justin fields and select a quarterback there's just so many fascinating angles i mean there's so many teams in that top 10 even just outside the top 10 who, who could use a quarterback and set themselves up for years to come with a f potential franchise quarterback you know it's a team like the Panthers in love with a guy uh and and wants to set themselves up in what looks like a vulnerable NFC South so there's just so many angles there and, and I think it's such a fascinating story not only that fascinating story but when you start talking about not only the NFL draft and of course you have the XFL that has gotten started up tomorrow on the show we will be having A.J. McCarron to join us along with the preview of the Alabama-Auburn basketball game. Will Alabama be cutting down the nets tomorrow at Coleman Coliseum? Or will they have to go ahead and share that SEC regular season championship? We'll find that out tomorrow. So we'll be talking to Wimp Sanderson, the former University of Alabama head basketball coach scheduled to join us and again I'm here at Legacy Arena in Birmingham Alabama been watching the 2023 AHSAA basketball semifinals that started on yesterday and we had a lot of success with St. Luke's having a huge win over Mars Hill Bible 
on yesterday, and they punched their ticket into the state championship game. So we'll be talking with their head coach to see how their travel plans have been changed. And, again, you have to respect the fact that they're always student athletes first, and St. Luke's coach let us know that they didn't get back until close to 1 o'clock in the morning and were up and at it and ready for school today. And salute to those young student athletes who have a lot of travel demands as a high school athlete and are learning that you can play basketball as well as get your academics in order. So we'll talk to Garrett Traywick about that travel and balancing the both of those. Mention the fact that Priceville and UMS Wright are playing one another in the first quarter of action. Priceville has jumped up 7-3 to three early on UMS Wright. And we'll be talking a lot of different basketball, high school, college, and NBA today. We'll have Stephen Root on to kind of give us what his thoughts were about 71 points being scored by Damian Lillard along with LeBron James being out now for a couple of weeks with an ankle injury. And will the Lakers be able to gain any ground with him being out? Or will they miss the playoffs totally with only 21 games remaining? We'll definitely look forward to talking to Stephen Root about that. South Alabama's women's basketball program, they got knocked out of the Sunbelt Conference tournament today. 59-54 to 54 was the final score for the South Alabama Lady Jaguars. They were defeated by Georgia State. And again, South Alabama, the Lady Jaguars, in the season, it's 7-23, and 23, only 3-15 and 15 in the conference. And it's been a, a rough and tough year for Terry Fowler and the Lady Jaguars, but their season does come to an end. The men, they get started on Thursday, and they will play against App State at 11.30 on Thursday morning. So plenty of conference tournament basketball to talk about. We know the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament will be starting. The Atlantic Sun Tournament will be starting next week. We'll talk to Rick Petrie. And Rick Petrie, he had an opportunity to play in the Final Four and coach in the Final Four here with the B.C. Rain Red Raiders and had never coached women's basketball before taking the head coaching job at South Alabama. And now he's at Jacksonville State. We'll catch up with Rick Petrie and see how they're doing. And, again, just a lot more than basketball going on. Richie Riley scheduled to join us at 3.30. Mike, you just were talking about the the free agency situation and what direction a lot of these franchises were going to try to to go in during the off season. And I know that if you're right there, if you're the Chicago Bears, do you decide to go ahead and trade that overall number one pick, or do you go ahead and do you decide that? I need a quarterback or I need a defensive player. And if you're the Houston Texans, what do you decide to do? Because, you know, you, you fire Lovey Smith, and they could have had the overall number one pick, but they won that last game of the year, which propelled them to the number two pick. So the Arizona Cardinals defensively, 
what situation do they go in defensively, offensively, and, of course, the Colts. They need a quarterback as well, a longtime quarterback, and we know that the Raiders are also in need of a quarterback. They have the seventh selection, Jarrett Stidham, on their roster, Mike. Is Jarrett Stidham the answer for the Las Vegas Raiders? <laughs> Unlikely, I would say. Uh, I mean, he had a good game against the Niners. I don't think anyone in that building thinks he's the future of that organization. I mean, Vegas is in an interesting spot sitting at seven. They could trade up if they wanted to. They could go get Aaron Rodgers if they wanted to. I, I mean, they, there's any number of things they could do. I mean, if I'm a team like Las Vegas sitting at seven or Carolina sitting at nine, Indianapolis sitting at four, I understand. I mean, there's the argument to be made that, you know, look at next year's draft class. You had Caleb Williams and Drake May. Next year's draft class, bet these guys would go one and two in this draft. And I understand that. But, like, at, at a certain point, you're – you're betting on your team to be bad again next year. And it's like you're in the position to move up for a guy now. I just, I, I, especially if you're at four and you're Indianapolis, I think you have to get a quarterback this year. I mean, if you're Carolina or Las Vegas, you can make the argument on waiting. But, I mean, I don't know. If you're Carolina, I, if I'm Carolina, I, I make a move from nine up into the top three. And really, I mean, if number one is available and you can get it, I would make if if they're in love with Bryce Young, go get it, go get it done and go get your quarterback in the future. The NFC South, I mean, the Bucks are going to be bad next year. The Saints, we don't really know, but I, I, I mean, none of these teams in that division are are a perennial Super Bowl threat next year. Go get your guy, and uh, and and you can if it's successful, you can own that division for the next decade. So, if I'm Carolina, I, I, that's the most interesting one to me. I think it was Dan Orlovsky yesterday who said it. You know that Carolina should trade up for a quarterback, and I wholeheartedly agreed. Well, it's not just quarterback that is a position of need. What about sometimes you look at Leonard Fournette, and we know Tom Brady ran its course with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and him going ahead and deciding to retire, but. They go ahead and make that cap move, and Leonard Fournette no longer a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Yeah, he had he had a rough year, but the Bucks' running game as a whole was bad. I mean, they were their offensive line kind of was in shambles from the start of the re, of the of even training camp, really. Uh, so, I mean, it's hard to say Leonard Fournette is done. He can't produce. I'm sure. Behind a decent offensive line, he could have a somewhat productive season. I think Rashad White, uh, as far as the Tampa Bay running back situation, had kind of passed him in terms of the guy they liked more. Uh, Fournette still offers some value as a pass catcher. I mean, he's going to end up on a team. He's not going to retire. It feels like a very Patriots-Belichick-like signing. We'll see if that actually happens. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Fournette, to see him released by Tampa Bay is a very unsurprising move. We'll, we'll see how much he actually commands in the open market because, I mean, an interesting topic is just how little running backs are valued in today's day and age. No no running back is going to get handed. No running back, at least of Leonard Fournette's caliber, is getting handed a, a big contract. So we'll see uh, what he actually ends up getting. Everything from a cap standpoint, and you look at yesterday at – at the Atlanta Falcons, they released Marcus Mariota. And I, I think that when he gets benched and they go ahead and 
Ritter comes in and starts the last final four games. I think the writing was on the wall there. But Mariota, only 29 years old, but the Falcons had to find a way to go ahead and save some of that cap space, as you will start seeing a lot of these teams go ahead and make that decision. Yeah, I, I mean, the Mariota releasing, like, you, I mean, writing was kind of on the wall when, I mean, that was a weird situation. I mean, people were saying he quit on his team. I don't think that was really the case. He had an injury that was not an it, it was a wacky situation. I, I, I wouldn't say he quote-unquote quit on his team, but it seemed pretty obvious that he wasn't going to be back, and we'll see uh, what they have in Desmond Ritter. That's kind of, you know, jury's still out on that, uh, but... I mean, Desmond Ritter's far from a sure thing. Don't count Atlanta sitting there at number eight as a team that couldn't be in the potential uh, quarterback market, whether it be free agency-wise or if Lamar Jackson were to get traded or, you know, move up for a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud or if Will Levis were to fall there. I don't know, Anthony Richardson. I, I don't know. I mean, all these teams uh, could potentially need quarterbacks. Well, I think that when you start talking about the need for quarterback again, it's just a, a, a situation to where you just need that stability, whether it be free agency. There's not a lot of rookies that are going to come into the National Football League and play immediately. I mean, let's look this past year, even going back to Justin Fields, how long did it take for the Chicago Bears to call Justin Fields numbers? And when you are – a quarterback coming in at 22, 21, 22, 23 years old, how quickly will franchises go ahead and pull the trigger and put you out on the field if you don't have a veteran in front of you? Yeah, I think that depends on the guy. Uh, I think some guys are more projects than others. Some guys are more NFL-ready. and I, I mean, some guys are thrown into it. Some guys are could be the most NFL ready but are thrown into terrible situations. I think Trevor Lawrence is a good example of that. I think he was one of the more pro ready prospects I've ever seen, but he gets thrown into a situation with a 1 in 15 roster and Urban Meyer as the coach and you know obviously he's he's not going to look very good. I, I mean Mac Jones is, is an example of a guy, you know, he played in a, a pro style system in college. He, he was I guess, you know, mentally uh, ready to go and ready to start as a rookie year. But, you know, Anthony Richardson, for example, uh, might be a little bit more of a project. It might benefit him to, to sit out a year and study. We'll see what happens, you know, with, with Jordan Love. If, uh, you know, per, if Aaron Rodgers isn't back in Green Bay next year, Jordan Love, I mean, he's been sitting learning behind Aaron Rodgers. We'll, we'll see how that works out for him. I mean, it's not the worst thing to have these guys sit and learn from a veteran for a couple of years. I absolutely agree with you on that in regards to sitting and learning. And like I say, sometimes you get thrown to the fire when you're not ready. And I tell you. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey LeBounty, live at Legacy Arena in Birmingham, Alabama, where the UMS Wright Lady Bulldogs are taking on Priceville. And in the second quarter, with 5.43 remaining, UMS Wright trails 22-7 in the second quarter here of this 4A girls semifinal action. And someone who did not struggle was the St. Luke's Wildcats yesterday as they punched their ticket to the state championship game and coach Trawick 
good afternoon, and I know you guys have had a busy 24 hours. As soon as you guys won, you guys hit the road and got back probably about 1 o'clock in the morning and knocked out school today. Well, we did. We did. That's that's part of the gig. If you're going to be a student athlete, you know, we're blessed to be playing this time of year, but the, the student comes before the athlete. So we're back in rhythm, and, and our guys had to wake up and come on in with Coach this morning. But we're, we were blessed uh, last night. But like I said, we still got to hit the books hard. Coach, you guys are going to play for your first state championship blue map in regards to if you win it, it would be the first in school history. I know that Coach Cantonio Davis had done a wonderful job a few years ago getting the St. Luke's program to the state championship game. Just weren't able to get over the hump. But at 10.45 a.m. this Friday, you guys will be playing for a blue map and having a chance to claim it and bring it back to the Port City. Yes, sir. We we blessed for that opportunity, so we got to take advantage of these next three days of film and, and on court work to to give our guys the best opportunity come Friday. And like I said, we're we're blessed. Had a hard fought game uh, going through this grind, going through Mardi Gras, and the sacrifices these young men are, are making. You know, and and just wanting wanting to try to try to do something that hasn't been done. But like you said, with Coach Davis and those guys. Um, was blessed coming in to coach some of those guys that had been on his teams. And, you know, you tip your cap to those guys who, who showed the blueprint to, to get us to this opportunity. And all we're trying to do is replicate it and, and, and build upon it. Coach, I want you to talk about your assistant coaches. And you're only going to be as good as those that surround you and help these young men become better players on the floor and off the floor. Oh, absolutely. I mean, coaching staff, you know, obviously being titled the head coach, you're only as good as your staff and your players. Um, and, man, I can't I can't praise my coaching staff enough with, with Coach uh, Mahan, Coach Sims, and Coach Boykins. And, and the experience they have in the game, uh, it, it, along with the passion that they have, uh, they, they helped me so much, uh, taking a lot off my plate uh, with the responsibilities that I got to do as far as traveling in locations where they're – hitting film and getting scouting reports and then just being on the floor with us. And, you know, we, we, we coach by committee. We really do. That's the kind of trust I have with my coaches and as well as them just believing in me and, and wanting to be a part uh, uh, of St. Luke's basketball. But, yeah, their experience with Coach Mahan at the collegiate level and then playing professionally overseas along with Coach Sims and Coach Boykin playing at the next level. Uh, a lot of basketball experience, uh, a lot of local high school guys, one of, you know, some – local legends around here and me not being from here was key in, in, in building a coaching staff down around this area. So I, I can't tip my cap enough to those guys. Love them to death uh, and, and really proud of the work that they, they put in and, and the confidence they have in, in me and loving these guys as well. Coach, you were able to get one of your young superstars back toward the latter part of the season in Brandon Cooks. Talk to us about his transition along with Cam Chambers, who has been playing football since he was a seventh grader at St. Luke's, overcame a neck injury that he had to sit out a couple of football games. But just the versatility of a young man, Mr. Mike Miles as well, those contributing young men to your roster. 
Well, you know, that's that's been the, the challenge this season uh, is just having a healthy bunch. We Like you said, with the, the injuries with Cooks and, and the broken collarbone and Cam and the, the neck injury from, you know, uh, the, the the car accident, which could have been uh, a lot worse. Uh, you know, that, that's been the thing. And then you talk about Mike Miles. That guy is just the, the Iron Man for us. He's He's been here uh, a little bit longer. Cam's obviously our senior. Uh, those guys being where we've been to where we're now, uh, just their grit, their grind, and their toughness. And, and I just feel like they're cut cut like me. I, I want to be a coach that always opens the gym, and, and there's never a moment that they're not in the gym. But during those times of, of those guys being hurt, you know, you had opportunities for these other guys, the next up mentality, um, which is paying dividends in this playoff run. Uh, you know, some of the conversations, hey, you're injured, you got to get back in shape. And then when you get back in shape, nothing's guaranteed. It's not – going to be you walk back into a starting role. It wouldn't be right when you have teammates who are holding the line through area play and, and, and getting us to the area tournament in the top seed. Um, and that was really a big concern uh, was would, would this bunch have enough time to gel and all be healthy? And right now we, we've gelled well enough to give us an opportunity come Friday night to try to try to go and do something special. No doubt about it. Garrett Trawick, the head boys basketball coach at St. Luke's, you will be playing at 1045 for a state championship, and we just want to congratulate you on getting there. Let everybody know who your opponent is and how everybody can. Is there a spectator bus or what have not so they can join the St. Luke's trying to bring back the blue map? Absolutely. We got spirit buses going up day of uh, with that 1045 tip off. We've got a bus full, working on a second bus full that'll pull out at 5 a.m. So more welcome to reach out to St. Luke's High School if you want to hop on the bus and see if they can't find your spot to come cheer on the Wildcats as we take on um, Aliceville, top tier Aliceville. They've only got one loss on the season, and that, that shows. That's why they're on the, the other side of the stage in, in this title game. Um, so we've got our work cut out for us. Um, with their size, their athleticism, uh, they shot lower. They got to the free throw line. They had 41 attempts and uh, shot 73% from the line, and that's a big telltale up there in these games that get tight, that get close, uh, the things that matter, rebounding, turnovers, and free throws. Uh, and that showed last night. They were able to attack the glass, get uh, get Sand Rock in, in, into the bonus, and then they extend their lead from there by hitting their free throws, and that's that's a big key up there. So we, we definitely have our work cut out with us with their size, their athleticism, and obviously how well they're, they're coached. You don't have a record like that, um, and you don't they don't just let you go play for the state title either. So those guys have worked hard, earned it, um, and, and rightfully so. So we definitely have our work cut out for us, and it's going to be going to be a test uh, to the end for sure. We know that going into it. Well, we will see you on Friday. Thank you for your time, Coach, and we look forward to seeing you hoist that blue map on Friday morning. Well, we, we're going to work work as hard as we can to give our guys the best opportunity to do so. But we appreciate all you do for high school sports and, and focusing on basketball during this time of year and all that you do and every media platform you're on. So we love following you and love everything you guys do for high school sports, and we can't thank you all enough. My pleasure. Garrett Trey with joining us here on the final drive and coming up next we'll have south alabama men's head basketball coach richie riley they are in pensacola at the sunbelt conference tournament will tip off for them 
at 11.30 on Thursday, and we'll join and catch up with Coach Richie Riley next here on the final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Braun. Hi, this is Bo Manning, my co-producer of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, along with Michael Bronner, running the show back behind the glass in Mobile, Alabama. I'm located at Legacy Arena here at the BJCC, and Richie Riley is getting ready for his Sunbelt Conference tournament that he will be participating in at Thursday at 11.30, and I'm going to stick around for the 7 o'clock game here at Legacy Arena because I want to see a future Jaguar hoop it up and that young man led his team Mr. Broom John Broom to a state championship a year ago and he is signed with the University of South Alabama Jaguars so excited to watch him play and I know coach Riley will be probably keeping up with that score as well but postseason awards coach Kevin Samuel and Isaiah Moore you knew what you were getting in Samuel uh, and Samuel, and then, of course, more coming in and just being able to score the rock. I know you have to be tremendously happy for those guys. Yeah, anytime our guys can get rewarded for for their accomplishments on the court and go out and earn that, it's a special deal. Um, Kev has been back-to-back defensive players of the year. A-son, he won it last year there, and he won the Sun Belt this year. Pretty big-time accomplishment. While climbing up the all-time list of rebounders and, and shot blockers to ever play college basketball. So he's had a tremendous year. And then Isaiah Moore is a great story. Had zero Division One offers out of high school. Went to Franklin Pierce, the Division Two in the Northeast. Turned their program into a top 25 program and became a Division Two All-American. And then maximized his opportunity as us. Um, he's one of the best players in this league. And I'm glad the other coaches felt that way, too, because he certainly, certainly deserved to be first-team All-Conference. No question about it, Coach. And, again, you guys were really hot down the stretch, and I think it's very important that you start playing your best basketball late. You had that temporary setback Friday, but you guys had really up until that point. They even had you dancing a a little jig in the locker room, Coach. People saw you with some fancy footwork. I loved it. (laughs) I was doing my best. I I um I break out some dance moves from time to time. It's not it's not too often, but from time to time, our, our guys, man, I can't tell you how happy I am for them. Um, the way that they've been able to play the last ten games, because when we lost all those close games early, their attitude and their energy and their effort never never went down. It was the they've had the the same approach all season long, and that's why they've continued to get better. And that's been the key to us playing well late. And hopefully it'll carry over into the tournament. Um, I, I like where we're at. I like our guys' mentality. I think it really means something to them. They want, they want to compete for a championship. So hopefully that shows on, on Thursday at 1130. Well, the great thing is, too, Coach, it's right here in Pensacola, Florida. So we'll be able to 
within an hour drive for all the South Alabama Jag Nation who's continued to support this program, especially when they've seen you guys really gel and come together as a team against an App State team that you guys beat 74-57 to on February 11th. And I know that seems like a lifetime ago when you start looking at the calendar, but at least it's a team that you guys kind of know in what you're getting and you know what it will take to be successful because you guys have done it the right way the first time in defeating App State. Yeah, we played really well. We shot the ball really well. We played at a high level. One of the better games we played all year. Um, and we're going to need that again to be able to beat them. They got a really good team, and they're one of the teams. I've said this a lot when I've been talking about the tournament, is there's, there's nine or ten teams that could win this tournament. And I wouldn't be surprised. And I don't think there's another league in America that you could say that about. Our league has so much parity. There's some there's just good teams, man. And it's it's really hard. And and they're one of them, certainly. And and we got we gotta come out and we gotta do a lot of the same things defensively that helped us be successful. And then we gotta be able to make some shots. I mean, that's we've made some shots and it helped their spacing so much in that game when we play them at our place. It's gonna require that because they're stingy defensively. Um, and they're going, they're going to force us to have to make some shots. Coach, if you had to really look at one of the surprises for your team going in this year, at the end of the regular season, what would you say it would be as far as from a head coaching standpoint that you just didn't think going in that it would be the case? You know what, on a on – a, I won't say negative, but on a scale, I was a little bit disappointed. We didn't, didn't shoot the ball from three as well as I thought we would. We got some really good shooters, man, in that locker room. And, you know, in, in some of those moments throughout the year, we didn't shoot it like I thought we would. Uh, I think some of the younger guys coming up to the program will turn some elite shooters uh, as they get older. But we didn't we didn't shoot as well. But the thing, the thing that has been a pleasant surprise it's just our ability to increase our depth. When we first started out, you know, Judah Brown wasn't playing a lot. He's a sophomore. And he just got a lot better, worked like crazy. And now he's starting, you know, and playing high minutes. Marshall Kearing has been giving us a boost off the bench for the most part. Wasn't doing that early. Um, and then Jamar Franklin is continuing to grow. Uh, you know, he has, some, he has some rookie mistakes. He's a freshman. He's 18 years old. But... He, he's showing how much he's getting better, and there's no question in my mind, I think he's a future all-conference player. Well, Coach, I tell you, we just want to continue to see you guys play with that type of effort. You'll never make the shot that you don't take, but again, I know I've seen the sweat equity myself on how much work has gone into shooting, and again, you guys, you giving your guys the green light to shoot it, and hopefully you guys will continue to have the green light Thursday at 11.30 there at the Pensacola Bay Center as you guys host on a neutral floor app state. I say host because, again, it's a lot closer to Pensacola than it is from Boone, North Carolina. So I expect a lot more red, white, and blue in the stands than I would see app state. But, Coach, you've done a tremendous job this year, and I just love your tenacity. I've had the best seat in the house keeping the book for the men, getting a chance to – to see you really get after it and really coach your team up. And I know you will continue to make that history getting South Alabama back to postseason play where anything can happen in March. 
bless you to appreciate you. It's always a pleasure to be on, and I appreciate the kind words. And there's nobody, there's nobody more special than you. So it means a lot coming from you. And uh, make sure you cheer my guy on tonight. Uh, I will definitely do it, Coach. I'll make we're sure. We're trying to get ready to play. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. Well, you be safe, and you guys get focused in on getting that W here on Thursday versus App State. One game at a time. App State's up first, and we look forward to seeing those results as I will come on the air and let everybody know that South Alabama has been victorious on Thursday versus App State. I appreciate you, brother. See you soon. You got it. All right. Richie Riley, the head coach for the University of South Alabama men's basketball program, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And, Mike, it sure would be wonderful if you could see South Alabama put four games in a row together the way they did down the stretch and punch that ticket to March Madness. Yeah, I mean, and Coach said it, and this has kind of been the general consensus with the Sun Belt term. I mean, obviously Southern Miss has kind of won the regular season, even though they weren't really expected to. Uh, it's wide open. Uh, there's, like Coach said it, there's, what, eight eight teams that he wouldn't be surprised if, if they could win it. So, uh, you know, at a certain point, I'm sure the Jaguars are in the locker room asking themselves, you know, why not us? Absolutely. Why not South Alabama? And if you do win that game, when you do win that game, South Alabama, an eight seed, and again, taking on the nine seed, App State, a team that they did defeat on February 11, 74 to 57, they will have an opportunity to take on those Golden Eagles. And we all know what happened just a couple of weeks ago when South Alabama had an opportunity to play Southern Miss at home. It was an absolute throttling of the number one ranked team in the Sun Belt Conference, the Golden Eagles. South Alabama won 85 to 54 over Southern Miss. And that was probably the best basketball that I've seen South Alabama play all year long. But it is one game at a time. It's just always great to look ahead as, again, I'm looking ahead on this floor as the third quarter of play just started in this 4A girls semifinal game between Priceville and UMS Wright. UMS Wright was down 29-14 to 14 at halftime. And being down 29-14 to 14 at halftime is not an insurmountable adventure for Terry Canova and the Lady Bulldogs, but they are definitely having to fight uphill to get back in this game and punch their ticket to the 4A Girls State Championship game, Mike. Yeah, I mean, it's craziness up there in uh, in Birmingham. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what you want to see, though. The atmosphere here is second to none. They just last year had redone legacy arena so you you start to see all the new seating and the the arrangement of how this arena has the, not a bad seat in the house and UMS right down now 31 to 16 with 635 remaining in the third quarter of action and Mike when we come back we'll talk a little SEC basketball some more as we have an outstanding lineup still scheduled for you. 
We're still going to talk NFL draft at the top of the hour. We're going to talk a little baseball and the money that's being thrown around in Major League Baseball is amazing when you start looking at it. And, of course, we have Steven Root and Rick Petrie scheduled to join us as well as the final drive continues here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Cornelius Bennett, three-time All-American College Football Hall of Fame, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty joined by Michael Brauner, who is behind the glass, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055 is how you can reach the station, 251-694-1055. And don't forget to listen for that motorboat sound because this weekend at the Mobile Boat Show at the convention center, you can win a pair of boat show tickets here from WNSP. So, Make sure you listen for that boat sound, and when you do hear that boat sound, give Michael a call at 251-694-1055. And, Michael, we touched a little bit on it yesterday about Brandon Miller being kind of overlooked for SEC Freshman Player of the Week, and Nate Oates says today he's not sure if the situation that's going on with Brandon Miller and all the attention that he's garnering right now will cost him any more awards. And he says he'll talk about it as the awards continue to be unveiled. But I thought that that was a very outstanding comment that was made by Nate Oates in regards to, of course, you're going to go to bat for your player winning a specific award, especially when head-to-head numbers are better than the person that received it, but I, I just really hope that this whole, whether it's the pat-down situation or the other off-the-floor issues that are going on don't affect Brandon Miller from winning what he has rightfully and deservedly so played his way into on the floor for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, yeah, I, I think, <laughs> I, I think if you're putting a lot of, a, st- a lot of stock into individual rewards, you can probably prepare to be disappointed at this, at this point. Uh, I think kind of spoke volumes this week that, that Nick Smith won freshman of the week, even that Oscar Shibway won, won player of the week because Brandon Miller's numbers. Well, I mean, Shibway obviously puts up ridiculous number of rebounds, but I, again, I mean, who, it doesn't really matter. Uh, in terms of the individual awards, I like if if it were solely based on on the court, obviously Miller would have won. I mean, you'd be you'd be crazy to say otherwise. Um, it, it's just you know it is what it is. I I wouldn't expect him to win anything individually the rest of the season, and, and whether you think that's fair or not, I, it doesn't really matter. That that is just gonna be uh, the case. But I mean, Oates said it. Yesterday, I mean, this this team is focused on winning basketball games, and and uh, they're very unselfish. And Miller's mentally tough. It's not going to affect him. I mean, he'll he'll uh, if anything, it'll make him play better. Right. I I think you're absolutely right about 
having that laser focus type mentality that Brandon Miller has is evident when he went for 41 against South Carolina and then turning it up against Arkansas as well. Tonight in SEC play, Florida and Georgia play one another. Florida at 14 and 15, Georgia at 16 and 13. Arkansas Huge and Tennessee. One. Huge I, one. I'm really looking forward to seeing the outcome of this Arkansas-Tennessee game because we saw the way that Arkansas played against the University of Alabama and now with Nick Smith Jr. being back healthy and getting more and more minutes for Coach Musselman, can the Tennessee Volunteers, they've, they've lost maybe three out of their last five, so will the Volunteers be able to pick themselves back up? Because to me, Arkansas, if they're able to win this, they have definitely cemented themselves a, a place at the NCAA tournament and Texas A&M and Ole Miss playing one another. Texas A&M is going to be real salty coming off of that loss that they had to Mississippi State, and they don't want to lose to both Mississippi schools and South Carolina and Mississippi State playing one another as well. Yeah, it's almost strange to consider the fact that Arkansas is still a team on on the bubble as well as they played on Saturday. I I mean I think ultimately they're going to make it. Saturday was a was a rare case where uh, I think at least the net rankings they they moved up after a three point loss in, in Tuscaloosa with with their team at full strength. I mean Arkansas is a team no one really wants anything to do with in March, but at the same time they still need to finish the season strong because they're not. I mean they're probably going to make it i i haven't looked at the latest uh projections today but i i'd be surprised they don't they still have they played tennessee and kentucky in their last two games uh tennessee on the road tonight kentucky at home on saturday i actually i actually like them to go to tennessee tonight and pull off an upset and, and really lock and secure that up so arkansas on the road Again, Tennessee's favored by five and a half, and I, I think that Tennessee is going to hold hold tight at home. I think they will win this game and move to 22-8. and eight. I think it'll be a situation where if you're the Arkansas Razorbacks, you're looking at your schedule and you're saying, okay, our season finale is with Kentucky, and Kentucky is coming into Arkansas this coming Saturday. But I don't think that Arkansas – is going to be able to get over that hump tonight against the Tennessee Volunteers. Oh, it's interesting. It, I mean, these teams match up really interestingly with each other. They're two teams that excel on defense and at times can be offensively challenged. Uh, we know Arkansas does not shoot the three ball well at all. Tennessee is, is weird because they can kind of just turn it on at any time, it seems like. You know, Ziegler and Vescovy get going, but this is an interesting matchup. I, I expect a low-scoring game, but now that I said that, I'll probably be dead wrong. But I, like I said, I, I'm going to go ahead and predict Arkansas to go to Thompson Bowling Arena and pull off an upset tonight. Well, I'm looking forward to that matchup, and that matchup again. Maybe it busts bubbles, and maybe it does not, but a lot of teams are on the bubble as this weekend regular season winds down. And, again, we're looking forward to this time tomorrow night to where we'll be a couple hours away from tip-off at Coleman Coliseum with the Auburn Tigers coming into Tuscaloosa trying to 
knock off the number two ranked Crimson Tide. You're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Michael Brauner taking your telephone calls 251-694. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And we want to thank our our number one guest here on this Tuesday, Gareth Trawick, the head boys basketball coach at St. Luke, giving us a little bit insight of what it's like to have a quick turnaround. And we mentioned that you are student athletes first and of course, I salute those young men for being able to focus on their academics as well as excel on the floor. Also, they will be playing at 1045 this coming Friday for a state championship in 2A. If they're able to pull it out, it will be the first ever in school history. And here at the BJCC and Legacy Arena, the UMS Wright Bulldogs are down by 21 points here to start the fourth quarter of play. Now it's 44 to 22 with 7.33 remaining in the fourth quarter. The Bulldogs just not able to really get anything going offensively so far and that's one of the reasons that they are down 44 to 22 but Terry Canova has his young ladies playing against Priceville in this 4A girls semifinal and has 30 wins on the year so that's an outstanding accomplishment for the Lady Bulldogs as they are climbing an uphill battle here in the fourth quarter trailing 44 to a 22 south alabama's women's basketball team loses in the opening round of the sunbelt conference tournament 59 to 44 and they finished the season 7 and 23 only 3 and 15 in the sunbelt conference tournament but at the same time a lot of injuries and what could have been for the lady jaguars as they fall short here today, 74 to 57. And also, we were talking in the first hour about the NFL draft and the NFL combine. And what direction would you decide to go? And we have someone on, Mike, right now that can give us a lot of insight into what's going on with the NFL Combine and Draft. And, Mike, I'll let you introduce our next guest. Yeah, we got Shane Hallam from uh, from Draft Countdown. So, uh, Shane, how you doing? Appreciate you hopping on with us today. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, guys. It's, it's Combine Week. Definitely exciting for me. So I appreciate you having me. 
Well, we were talking earlier about the Chicago Bears, and what do you do with that number one overall pick? I mean, do you trade it for value? Do you stay with Justin Fields at quarterback? But it's just part of that evaluation process. And you love the combines. I know it's measurements and testing, and uh, you have guys who decide to throw, who decide not to throw. Bryce Young made the announcement yesterday that he did not want to throw at the NFL combine. He was going to wait for his pro day, but there are some other quarterbacks who will be pulling the trigger during the NFL combine. And I respect the fact if you want to go out there and show that you can compete with receivers that aren't your guys, that you can do it. I I think that that's one of the things that you can showcase and continue to increase your stock. I think you get a little bit of leeway, too, if you're a quarterback and you decide to throw up the combine. Teams understand these aren't your receivers. You haven't timed things out with them. And I think it benefits quarterbacks to go out there and show they can compete. Also, just be vocal. You know, show you're a leader. Uh, talk with the guys. Talk with the coaches. I think that's big. So, other than Bryce Young and Hendon Hooker due to the injury, it seems like every other quarterback is going to throw. So, we're going to see C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, Will Levis from Kentucky, Anthony Richardson from Florida. I know a lot of people, a lot of teams are looking forward to seeing. I think we're going to see Stroud, Levis, and Richardson really showcase their, their arm talent. And you're going to kind of – Get them propped up the board. I think team's going to feel a lot more comfortable after this combine with the quarterbacks, not just in the testing, but getting to see them kind of live arm back to back to back. And, uh, you know, one of the things about the combine, and I know a couple of years ago when COVID hit, they weren't even able to have the NFL combine, and that's why coming down to Mobile's Reese's Senior Bowl was so very important to these young future millionaires but the situation when you came down here to mobile alabama we can talk about who really stood out and probably earned a lot more eyeballs getting ready to participate in the combine here over the next few days I think there was a ton. I mean, we actually heard today Omar Khan, the GM for the Steelers, talk about how invaluable the Senior Bowl was and that week was because a lot of players helped themselves maybe into being day two, day three picks. I thought there were a number of receivers. Michael Wilson, the receiver from Stanford, had an excellent week. Uh, really big guy that showed that he can run routes, showed they can get open, had a big game. I thought maybe he was. Uh, deserving of the MVP even for how well he played in that game. I think he played himself into that early day three, late day two mix. Uh, Luke Musgrave, the tight end from Oregon State, showcasing that athleticism. I think we'll see that continue this weekend of the combine as Musgrave uh, at 255 pounds um, by all accounts is probably going to you know run really well. Um, so I thought he, he did great. And I think there's a lot of defensive players. It's a really good defensive draft. So we saw uh, Northwestern pass rusher uh, at a Tumua at a Bolare have a uh, great week. Um, he's kind of a tweener pass rusher type, but he maybe played himself into round three when he was kind of thought of as a round four, round five guy. A uh, number of corners, Tyreek Stevenson from Miami, Darius Rush from South Carolina, and Julius Brent from Kansas State. All probably the Senior Bowl might help them get into round three. So I think the Senior Bowl's big, especially this year, was big for differentiating, okay, who's going to emerge to become a top 100 pick uh, that wasn't really thought of that way before. Talking to Shane Hallam, Draft Countdown. Shane, uh, 
I guess I'll ask you to play GM a little bit here just because we were talking about what the Bears should do with this number one pick. I mean, are you sold on Justin Fields? Are you in love with one of these quarterbacks at the top of the board? Prefer I mean, preferably Bryce Young, I would think, but are you buying this Will Levis or Anthony Richardson hype? Uh, are you all in on C.J. Stroud? What do you think the Bears should do with this number one pick? I think if you're the Bears, you keep Justin Fields. You've spent this coaching staff spent a year developing him, and even with with the lack of weapons that they had, I thought he showed the ingenuity to run the way that he did. Had some throws that you can work with and say this can be an NFL quarterback. I think it behooves you to stick with him. And this quarterback group is good. I love CJ Stroud from Ohio State. I love Bryce Young. I think they're both good, but there's still a lot more unknown. And then you have to redevelop a quarterback and fit him into your system. I think you stick with Justin Fields and you look at trading this pick. What what gets me with the Bears is I think you have two elite defensive talents. Uh, on, on, on the board in terms of Will Anderson from Alabama and Jalen Carter from Georgia, I really don't want to move out and miss on one of those two players. So that's why I think the Colts at four or maybe even just moving down one spot to two makes a lot more sense than maybe someone selling the house and I have to move down in the middle of the first round. So to me, if I can move down to four, don't get Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, Justin Fields is the quarterback, get some extra picks, that, that's the best of both worlds. I'm just really trying to figure out why is there so much buzz about Anthony Richardson moving up the draft board as he continues to, I mean, we, we've talked about it during the regular season. To me, when you see him on film, I know he's 6'4", 232. What is it about him that has really increased his stock? I'm kind of with you. I, I, like, I, I think it's a little bit overblown uh, on my rankings. I've been down in the 80s. It seems like he's probably going to go in the first round and maybe in the top 10. I, I just think teams are enamored with the upside. They see a guy that is you know, 6'4", 235 pounds and runs in the four fours and has this strong arm and feels like, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a good coach. I can turn that into better than a 50% completion percentage in college. I could turn this one-year starter into, into, into a guy. Um, and, and to me, that's what's gotten coaching staffs and GMs in trouble in the NFL in most cases, right? Zach Wilson for the Jets is a great example of seeing the guy throw great at the combine in the pro day and say, well, I could turn this into a franchise quarterback, and they just can't. Uh, can Anthony Richardson be Josh Allen? Maybe. You know, that upside is always there. But to me, I, I have not evaluated a one-year starter, a quarterback, who really had the, the poor passing efficiency that Richardson did and see him go in the, even in the first round, little in the top ten. So I think it's a scary buy for a team to do, but someone's going to pull that trigger. We're not only talking about pulling the trigger or trying to find situations. Let's talk about, you mentioned just moments ago, what is the difference between wanting to go Jalen Carter or Will Anderson Jr.? I mean, one's a defensive tackle, and, of course, Will Anderson can play that jack linebacker or put his hand in the dirt for any NFL team. But what what would be the biggest difference maker between a Georgia guy going before an Alabama guy? To me, I think the difference is, as you said, the, the position that they play. Um, we haven't had a defensive tackle go, you know, number one overall in a draft since 
the, the, the 1990s. It's been a long time. And I think uh, 1994, I think, Dan Wilkinson. Um, so you want that edge pressure. I mean, you, you need to pressure the quarterback. Jalen Carter can do that up the middle, but it's a lot harder to do that up the middle consistently, especially when you have two-gap against the run, whereas Will Anderson, he, he's like Von Miller. I mean, let him pin his ears back. Let him go after the quarterback. He's athletic enough to make plays on the, on the edge and contain a quarterback and the running back. Uh, he can just change a defense and make it that much better. I think Carter can make some big plays, take over a game here and there, but I don't think you're going to get that consistency of stopping a top-tier quarterback like Will Anderson. That's what puts Will Anderson as the best prospect in this draft for me. I'd be happy with either one if I'm the Bears and I have to move down to four. But uh, if I'm sitting at two, if they move down one spot, give me Will Anderson. And again, when you start looking at medicals and measurements, a lot of that was done definitely from a measurement standpoint of everybody who participated in the Reese's Senior Bowl. Those official measurements were able to come out. But if you had to say, okay, after all the cone drills, after all the wide receiver drills, after all the quarterback drills coming out of Indianapolis this week, a week from now, do you think anybody will go ahead and continue to increase their value in particular those that were invited to the combine or do you think after pro days you'll see an opportunity for specific eyebrows to be raised at what point in time do you see that occurring from the combines i think we're definitely going to see some players help themselves to combine and raise some of those eyebrows Uh, i think uh, a big one darnell washington the tight end out of georgia at 6'7", 265, it looks like he's going to run in the four sixes in the 40-yard dash and should do well in the other drills. So he's had some first-round buzz, but not kind of consistently. I think post-combine, Darnell Washington's going to be a consistent presence in those first rounds for the upside. Uh, running back, uh, Devin Achain, the running back out of Texas A&M, is small. He's 5'9". He's listed at 185. We'll see what he comes in at the combine. But um, he's probably going to run in the low four twos. And there's even a chance he challenges for the 40 record at 4-2-2 by John Ross a couple years ago. Um, so I think Devin Achain is going to be kind of propel himself up to being that, you know, number three running back. And I think the corners, where the top cornerbacks are already getting some buzz, but Christian Gonzalez from Oregon I think is going to establish himself as the guy. He's going to run super fast, maybe in the four threes, six two, two hundred. 200. He's long. The measurement's going to look great. Uh, I think Gonzalez is going to be another riser out of this, maybe into the top five or six. Shane, so, I, I mean, it seems like the Colts are probably the most likely team that, that would move into that number one spot from, from number four if the Bears do elect to trade it. And, again, I hate to ask you, too, if you're the Bears questions, but, I mean, Again, if you're the Bears, are you looking to move as far down as possible and collect as many assets, like, say, for example, Carolina at 9, Las Vegas at 7, or are you kind of just trying to... Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5, and... As I'm here at Legacy Arena here in Birmingham, Alabama, UMS Wright, the Lady Bulldogs, go down to Priceville, 56-36, to 36, and that's a final, and want to congratulate 
Terry Canova and the Lady Bulldogs on an outstanding regular season and going through postseason play as Priceville has defeated the UMS Wright Lady Bulldogs 56-36. to The Lady Bulldogs were down 29-14 to at halftime and just weren't able to overcome that big lead. And when we sit down and I finish looking at the box score here in a little while, I'll point out some things that I think really made the difference in this contest. And I tell you, one of the things that also, along with UMS, right, Terry Curtis is up here supporting the Lady Bulldogs as UMS Wright's athletic director, and he's scheduled to hop on with us here in a little while. So look forward to hearing from Terry Curtis. But, you know, Michael, there's a couple of schools who have gone without head football coaches and from a high school standpoint, one of those being the Theodore Bobcats. And the Theodore Bobcats lose their head football coach in Eric Collier. And Eric Collier takes a job with the University of South Alabama. But who's going to fill those shoes? Well, I tell you, it's looking more and more like Steve Mask may be making his appearance here along the Gulf Coast once again. And Steve Mask wins multiple state championships at St. Paul's, but we will continue to find out here, will Steve Mask be the next head football coach at Theodore High School? It's something that will be breaking news once it does become official. But Randy Larson, was an assistant coach on that staff. And it's definitely, if that's the direction that they decide to go, I think it'll be a huge hire for them as well. And as I'm getting ready to to talk with Terry Curtis, who is the athletic director at UMS Ride Coach, you know, I, I know sometimes when I'm up here at Legacy Arena at the BJCC, we were just talking about the UMS Wright Lady Bulldogs having 30 regular season wins, making that school history and just not able to get over that hump today, but a tremendous season for the UMS Wright Lady Bulldogs. Well, it, it, it was, uh, Corey. They had a great, uh, a great year. Uh, they played great all year. They won, uh, you know, one. 30 games, and uh, to be able to uh, do that, no matter the competition, uh, we we uh, we went against a good, prideful team today, and uh, you know we uh, had some turnovers and missed some uh, layups early, and and it ended up uh, you know end up costing us. Uh, but uh, give all the credit to Priceful. They had a very good team, got some really good players, and and uh, they did what they had to do. But I'm I'm still proud of our our girls and uh, and uh, the season they had. Well, Coach, you can't take anything away from making it to a Final Four because Coach Canova has absolutely run through the gauntlet on his schedule and beat a lot of teams, including Jackson, in the regional finals with two young ladies. One that's going to the University of Alabama as a post player, another one that's going to go on to play either junior college or collegiate basketball. And just the way that this team chemistry has come together, it's just they, they didn't ever gave up. They fought hard, and 
a tremendous season. Again, 30 wins is hard to come by in any sport. Well, it is, and Terry plays a tough schedule because, uh, you know, he's had enough success now. Uh, you know, they want to get to a regional. They want to have that opportunity, and to do that, you've got to play good people, and um, we play a lot of those people in our tournament in December, and 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 every chance he's got, and, uh, uh, you know, then Jackson and, and uh, Trina up there does a great job, and like you say, we played uh, uh, a lot of them. It's got a lot of people going a lot of places. But uh, like I said, our girls play hard. They defend well. And, uh, you know, they just wasn't our day. Uh, it it kind of started early. And uh, and uh, uh, they made the shots when they had to, and we didn't. Coach, I tell you, you know, football is 365, but when you start talking about these magnificent venues that the AHSAA presents to its student athletes here at Legacy Arena, when you're able to walk in and you're in a 10,000-seat arena and you have these schools that just absolutely empty out their schools, talk about the environment, not only here at Legacy Arena, but also at Jordan-Hare and also in Birmingham where they just had it a couple of years ago and also in Tuscaloosa, just second to none environment. Well, kudos to, to Birmingham and I mean the, the BJCC wasn't the, the uh, finest uh, place to go play five years ago and they've come in here and remodeled this place they've got a regional coming here uh, uh ncaa basketball this year seats about fifteen thousand, and and uh, i hear it's already sold out and uh you know that's what you got to do uh, you build it they'll come you get all kind of stuff and and hopefully mobile will, will you know take take part in some of this it helped with hancock whitney stadium but but you know we need a, a basketball arena or we need to do something with the mitchell center uh you know we need to get we need to get that regional back in mobile and uh mobile needs to do everything we can to get that regional instead of going to garrett coliseum in montgomery one of them needs to be in montgomery and uh but uh you know it takes work it takes volunteers it takes people doing it and you know mobile's got to, to, to start doing some of that stuff. I agree with you, Coach. And I'll flip gears on you for a moment here, and I'll let you get back to the rest of your student body and the rest of your coaches. But a little bit of breaking news that I'm hearing is going on is one of your good buddies, Steve Mask, possibly coming back to Mobile, Alabama, in or high school as the new head football coach. And I know if that happens and if and when it is board approved, I know that you guys, Coach Mass, never sold his house, but you would be excited to see Steve Mass back playing at 6A football. Well, I want, you know, my whole thing for Steve, I want Steve to be happy. And, uh, uh, you know, him in Birmingham just didn't jihaw. And, uh, you know, for him to be able to get back to Mobile and and move back in his house, he loves Mobile, and uh, to have that opportunity and to be at a place like Theodore, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's perfect for him. And, uh, you know, I think uh, – from what I've heard, and uh, matter of fact, he called me during the game, and uh, I think he starts as quick early as Monday. So, uh, you know, six uh, uh, A is a tough region, but uh, you know he's a good football coach. They've got a good staff at Theodore, and uh, hopefully they can keep it, uh, you know, keep it going like it's been. So, you know, I'm proud for Steve. My whole thing with him is, uh, you know, I just want him to be happy, and uh, he thinks Mobile's where he'll be happy. So. Uh, 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 I'm happy for. 
Coach Terry Curtis, the athletic director at UMS Wright, the state's all-time winningest head football high school coach joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And, Coach, congratulations on an outstanding season. And going back to your record-setting performance, congratulations on that as well. Many, many years in, many assistant coaches, many players help you continue to build that foundation. But I personally wanted to congratulate you and thank you so much for all that you've done for high school athletes, not only at your time at Shaw and Murphy, but along with UMS Wright as well. And to be the dean of high school coaches and to be able to converse with you like I am, it's truly an honor and a pleasure. Well, anytime, Corey. And, uh, you know, proud of you getting on this show and, and what you're going to do with it. And, uh, you know, UMS is a great place. It's been a great run. This kind of puts an end now on, on winter sports. And, uh, you know, now we go into spring with baseball and softball and soccer and golf and tennis and and uh, what did I leave out? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have track and field getting and track, ready to start. track yeah, right. getting started. Uh, we got a track meet Friday and uh, and, and uh, so it'll be a full spring and uh, you know I'm sure our, our student athletes are going to give everything they got and they're going to do like all the rest of them and make UMS right proud and and uh, and glad to be a be a, be a part of uh, our great school. Terry Curtis joining us on the final drive this afternoon, and we'll be right back on the final drive. You're listening to WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined by Michael Brauner behind the glass and producing today's show. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama at Legacy Arena for the AHSAA State Championship Basketball Games. And again, we want to thank Terry Curtis for jumping on, giving us that breaking interview there as the Lady Bulldogs ended their season 56 to 36 but Mike I know we switch gears again and you have another special guest lined up for us this afternoon yeah we're getting into baseball season and our resident person who's always available to talk some baseball with us Joe Lucia awful announcing Joe thanks for hopping on with us today thanks for having me appreciate it well, Joe, I'll tell you, one of the things that I think is interesting when you start talking a couple of things as the baseball spring season heats up is I just love the baseball money. And Manny Machado, 11-year, $350 million extension. You have so many young people today that say baseball is too boring, it's too slow. Well, Major League Baseball is trying to fix that with the pitch count or the pitch clock that's going on. But that type of money in Major League Baseball, you're not making that type of money in NBA basketball or outside of football either. Baseball seems to be where the money is. Yeah, and the thing about baseball, uh, all those contracts are guaranteed. Like in the NFL, you see a lot of these free agent contracts, and those contracts aren't guaranteed. The guaranteed money is only like half of what you usually get uh, with what's normally announced. But baseball, there's a lot of longer contracts. Uh, I believe the NBA, CBA disallows contracts uh, that long, whereas in MLB, you know, you got the 10, 11, 12-year deals, and that can really rack up to uh, over $300 million like we saw with Machado 
this new contract extension with the Padres. Well, when you start looking at that contract extension, the San Diego Padres, you know, to me, not really a major market team, but where are they getting all of this moolah from? I know they had a historic season last year, but weren't able to win it all. Yeah, I mean, their owner, like all uh, baseball owners, is rich. So uh, that helps. Uh, a lot of TV <laughs> money coming into play. And I think with Machado's new contract, that's backloaded. So he's going to make a little less the first three or four years the deal to kind of help out with their current payroll. And then when it gets a little further down the road, that's when he'll start making, you know, 30-plus million dollars per season. So that'll, uh, that'll help Padres' payroll so it's not, uh, not too out of control the next couple of years. Well, also, you're looking at the new situation, the new rules in Major League Baseball. Bigger bases this year. Are we saying the baseballs and the bags are juiced literally? And outside of that, talk about the pitching situation to where the pitch clock has made it very interesting for Major League Baseball having to make the adjustment. Yeah, the pitch clock is a huge deal. Like, uh, it's 25 seconds, and pitchers have to be set and ready to throw the plate. I think at, I think at the eight second mark of that clock, and hitters have to be in the box facing the pitcher at also, I believe, the eight second. If there's any uh, any deviance on that, if anyone is past that, then it's either an automatic ball or strike. It's already cut spring training uh, game times down by something like 20 or 30 minutes, even though we got a little bit of a small sample so far. It appears to be working as expected right now, and I think this uh, this could meet its goal of cutting a lot of these de- this dead time out of games that really nothing is happening that I don't think anybody really likes watching. Talking to Joe Lucia, awful announcing. Joe, I, I think, uh, you know, keeping on the theme of contracts, I think an interesting case study here is the Red Sox. Obviously, you know, you traded Mookie Betts a couple of years ago. Uh, you like to wa- uh, let Xander Bogarts walk in free agency and then eventually probably would have uh, ran ownership out of town if you didn't sign Rafael Devers. Is it really just a case of ownership being cheap or, or, or what? what is that? Because famously, there's no salary cap in baseball. I know you, you go over the luxury tax and then, you know, there's there's a situation there. But I, I mean, it's not like you have to choose Devers or Bogarts. You could have signed both if you wanted to. Uh, yeah, exactly. And the Red Sox owners, you know, like every ownership group in baseball, super rich. They also own uh, Liverpool in the Premier League, spending a lot of money over there. And uh, their fans are critical about their uh, lack of spending compared to other teams across the league. So it's a situation where they just don't want to spend more than uh, more than they think the market value is worth. They don't want to get into the situation where they have payroll over $300 million. Like $200 million? Yeah, okay, we can deal with that. But $300 million, that's that's like a step too far for them. Whereas, you see, teams like the Dodgers, the Mets, and now the Padres willing to kind of take that extra step. Boston is willing to go out pretty far, but not extra far. And they're kind of getting left behind, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, them and the Yankees were way far ahead of everybody else. Now the rest of the pack is kind of caught up. The Yankees are still kind of pushing forward, but the Red Sox really aren't. Well, when you start looking at spring training, it's a great way to get some of your young prospects looked at, whether they're going to go to AAA or AA or make that roster, opening day roster. But when you start looking at what are the surprises, of course the Houston Astros have continued to find a way 
to make Mattress Mac even richer than he already is last year. But who do you expect to go ahead and and really be big-time stories? I know the Braves had an outstanding season, and we all love the Braves in our neck of the woods. But are the Braves going to continue to hold on? And if not, who will take their place? Yeah, that NL East is a meat grinder. I mean, the Phillies were the third best team in the NL East last season, and they uh, ended up going to the World Series. Braves and Mets each won 100 games in the regular season and only won one playoff game apiece. And those three teams are obviously still going to be uh, in contention this year. I wouldn't be surprised if all three made the playoffs, one division winner, two wild cards. going to be a real tight there. But I think the team that a lot of people are kind of pegging to break out this year uh, are the Orioles, who finished above 500 last year, have a great young core coming up. They didn't do much this offseason. That really rubbed some fans the wrong way. But the AL East is a little bit down outside of the Yankees, and uh, the Orioles could step up to contend this season. Well, I tell you, you know, you say the Orioles, and one thing about Mobile, Alabama, and I, I don't know if you're aware, just the type of major league history that is here in Mobile, whether, of course, everybody knows about Hank Aaron or Ozzie Smith, but the Miracle Mets' entire outfield consisted of Mobile, Alabama players. Were you aware of the very rich tradition of baseball that existed down here in the Port City? Uh, to some extent, I didn't know that fact about the uh, Miracle Mets, which is kind of wild, three guys in the same city in the same outfield. That's that's kind of unheard of no matter what city you're talking about. But I know that the uh, city does have a lot of history overall in the game, and, uh, yeah, it's good to see uh, coming on this show. No question about it. And, you know, some of our local guys we love to see do well is – Jackson in the Angels organization, as well as Bubba Thompson getting that big call up from the Rangers a year ago. When you sit and you try to look at Bubba Thompson and what he was able to do as a rookie coming in last year, getting that call up late in the season, do you think that he can continue to to be an everyday player for the Rangers this coming season? Uh, it's a weird situation with the Rangers because, you know, they spent so much money over the last two off-seasons that they're expected to contend. And if they're not contending, something really has gone wrong there. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on them. And uh, I don't know if they want to throw someone that young into the fray, give them uh, everyday playing time. But if he's the best option, I think that's, the, that's what they have to do instead of running out with a uh, veteran who might not have much left in the tank. Joe, another team that uh, had a big offseason was the Mets, and ironically, they lose Jacob DeGrom to the Rangers, but replace him with Justin Verlander. What, I mean, you brought up the meat grinder that is the NL East. I mean, the Mets held... I, I, I famously on this show uh, call, called uh, called the NL East race over in June when the Mets were up like seven games and it just swept the Braves, and then we know what happened. They kind of collapsed. So it, what, what do you... Who, I, I guess I'm making you make a prediction, but who do you think is going to win the NL East this year? I mean, it's like a dumb hedge, but it really depends on health. If the Mets stay healthy, I think they're the best team in that division. I think they'll win it. But, you know, Scherzer's had injury problems over the years. Verlander is on the wrong side. I believe he's uh, 40 now, so that's not uh, that's not what you want to see in one of the horses of your rotation. But if they can get 30 starts each out of those two, I think the Mets will win the division. If not, I think it's uh, going to be the Braves. Well, I tell you, if everyone wants to follow 
you and to see your phenomenal coverage of everything Major League Baseball, how can they do so? Uh, you can check out my work on awfulannouncing.com. I write about uh, baseball as well as a whole bunch of uh, other media matters throughout sports. Well, we do appreciate your time on the final drive, and we continue to look forward to as we dip our toe into spring training and get into the regular season. We look forward to getting back in touch with you and seeing how things progress in Major League Baseball. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys having me today. Take care. Michael Brauner, I tell you, you know, when you start talking about spring training and the changes, I'm looking forward to seeing these new rules, the pitch clock. I think that that's one of the biggest things for me. The bigger bases aren't that big of a deal for, big of a deal for me, but the pitch clock and the pickoffs I think will be interesting to see and how the umpires will continue to enforce it. I know we saw the Braves this weekend get caught up in a bases-loaded situation to where the batter didn't get into the box quick enough, and with the bases loaded, you're called out. And that's tough, but it's one of those adjustments that you just have to make. Yeah, I mean, I think the pitch clock will kind of figure. I, I Obviously, it's new in spring training, so teams are getting used to it. it it's going to be a story while while it uh, you know comes into gameplay a couple of times here while got te- teams are still getting used to it. I, I think eventually, hopefully by the time the regular season comes along, it'll work itself out and uh, it won't be as much of a story. Uh, so I, I think it won't be that big of a deal. Ultimately, it'll speed up games, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, ultimately, I, I think it won't be a, a huge deal, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Well, we shall see, and I'll tell you what you can see. You can see the Mobile Boat Show as we are giving away a pair of tickets here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Make sure you tune in and listen for that motorboat sound, and when you do hear it, give us a call at 251-694-1055. Hi, this is Luis Gonzalez, former South Alabama Jaguar and Major League player. You're listening to WNSP Mobile. And we're back here on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and This second hour has gone by extremely fast as we've had UMS Wright, the Lady Bulldogs. Their season comes to an end. 56-36 was the final score against Priceville today. They weren't able to come away with the victory, but 30 wins nonetheless for Terry Canova and the Lady Bulldogs. So a tremendous season for the Lady Bulldogs. I want to thank Terry Curtis for jumping on with us. And again, some possible breaking news here from Corey LeBounty on the final drive. Steve Mask, the next head football coach at Theodore High School. You can see that coming down the pipe here in the next week or so. You know, everything's always pending school board approval, and it depends on how fast he starts, but 
Eric Collier has resigned and gone on to now coach at South Alabama, and that's a huge coaching announcement in 6A football as your 6A Region 1 champions were the Theodore Bobcats one year ago, and they have a lot of Division 1 talent still left on that roster. A matter of fact, a young man, Cameron Pruitt, being recruited by all the Power 5 schools that you could possibly imagine or name here currently, and he's the next big defensive back or a defensive player to come from Theodore High School next year. And when you start talking about the UMS Wright Lady Bulldog season coming to an end, the South Alabama women losing the opening round of the Sunbelt Conference tournament as well, 59-44 to and finished the season 7-23, and 3-15 conference record. And next hour at the top of the hour, We'll kind of give you a recap of what we've talked about here in the first couple of hours here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Michael Barner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us. And, Michael, I know that that motorboat sound went off, so... It'll be a situation to where I know we'll probably have a winner as well. We do have a winner. Big congratulations to David. Thank you to everyone for calling. Keep listening to that motorboat sound all week. Again, you know it's it's not it's a bit of a makeshift noise, but you know it's just what you're. It's you know people are calling, so <laughs> it, it, it's uh, you know it, it's distinct enough, I guess. Well, it's a situation to where you have a lot of excitement that has gone in here to Legacy Arena where I'm located. And because that's where I'm located, Michael Barner's behind the glass taking your telephone calls, 251-694-1055. And our number three of the final drive coming up, we talked about it yesterday. Dame time scores 71 points in an NBA basketball game. And we'll talk to my guy, Stephen Root, about what that means. And LeBron James going down for two weeks, what that means to the Lakers as well here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to our number three of the final drive here with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. I'm broadcasting live from Legacy Arena here at the BJCC where the 2023 AHSAA State semifinals are ongoing as we start championship play on Thursday evening and it will go all the way through Saturday and so far we've had our St. Luke's Wildcats 
punch their ticket to the 2A Boys State Championship game this coming Friday. And Hillcrest Evergreen, they came up short this afternoon against Midfield and the Patriots. And in 4A, UMS Wright, the Lady Bulldogs lost 56-36 to versus a tremendously talented Priceville team. But Terry Canova and the Lady Bulldogs having over 30 wins or half 30 wins on the season, so nothing to hold their head down about. And I tell you, nothing to hold your head down about if you're Dame Lillard because it's Dame time. This weekend, 71 points by Dame Lillard, and that's one of the most explosive games in NBA history. And our next guest, Stephen Root, loves the NBA, and I wanted to talk to him post-NBA All-Star about what his predictions are with KD getting ready to come back and play for the Suns this week, and who will win the West, who will win the East, and none better than one Stephen Root who has a podcast talking about the NBA right here on WNSP. Good afternoon, Stephen. Corey, my man, it's good to be with you. How are you, man? Absolutely blessed by the best, my brother. And I tell you, I, you know, I thought about you and Nick as I was watching the NBA All-Star Weekend. Of course, Dame Lillard does win the three-point shooting contest. But, you know, when, when, when Dame is on, he's on. But because he plays in such a small market in Portland, I just don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. Uh, 13 threes in 39 minutes, 41 points in the first half, 71 points, the eighth most in NBA history when you start talking about that. Yeah, man, you look back at Donovan Mitchell not about a few weeks ago. That just tells you where the league is. It's an offensive league and uh, you know, I, well, if you watch the All-Star game, you know those guys aren't going to risk anything to hurt themselves. <laughs> They're going to play no defense in that game. But, yeah, we, Nick and I, we've talked on the Double Team podcast about Dame, especially when um, trade deadline, that kind of year, that time of year rolls around. you got to talk about Dame because he's often a part of some conversation about whether or not he ought to get out of Portland or not. And, nope, that man's going to stay put. He's loyal to that team, maybe to a fault. Um, him, Bradley Beal, you can kind of throw in the same in the same conversation about their loyalty to these teams. You know, there's a there's respect you got to have for it, but at the end of the day, you kind of just you know you're kind of just forgotten about. You can drop 70 all you want, but you're still in the Blazers. You're still not going to make real noise in the playoffs. Um, Dame is an an elite all-time scorer in the league. He's one of my favorite players in the league. But yeah, you kind of just got to feel bad for him at some point that. What are you really going to do? What is your career going to be remembered as? Because, you know, it's, it's easy to forget about these guys when they're not having real success in the playoffs. Well, I tell you, you're talking about success in the playoffs. The Lakers absolutely gutted their roster prior to the All-Star break, but that's when you – felt like LeBron James, he made it publicly known at the All-Star Game. He doesn't want to go two consecutive seasons, not making the NBA postseason and having an opportunity to chase that ring. But he hurts his ankle, and now the Los Angeles Lakers 29-32. and 32. Is this going to do the Lakers in? Because there's only 21 games remaining. You miss a couple of weeks if you're LeBron, and there's nothing you can do to help control that destiny for the Lakers to make the playoffs. 
Yeah, it hurts big time. I predicted already on the previous episode of the Double Team Podcast that I was not riding with the Lakers. I did not think they were going to – I didn't think they were going to make it, and this hurts big time. Yeah, can they still do it without them? It's possible. I mean, they are capable. But, again, I've, I've said all along with this team, this team is dictated – their success is dictated upon – what you're getting out of Anthony Davis always has been. And it's so frustrating when you have to rely on that guy and he just decides not to show up. He wants to hang out around the three-point line when if he's down low in the paint on the block, he's unstoppable. And if he gets down there, that's that's where you can make some real noise if you're Anthony Davis. But he just kind of lulls you asleep sometimes. It's so frustrating, one, the injuries, and that's just unfortunate. But his game is is elite and some of the best in the league. But so often it just looks like he's content out there to hang out around the three-point line and and not give you his all. And that goes back to New Orleans. It's just a frustrating game you've got to follow along with. But I've thought the success of the Lakers rides on Anthony Davis and what you're going to get out of him. And that's more true now than ever. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think they're they got themselves in too deep of a hole. I love the new-look roster. I love the moves they made. Um, but no LeBron. You've got yourself in a hole. It ain't going to happen if it's the Lakers. I'm with you on that. And, again, the Lakers at 29-32 and 32, tied with or being right behind the Portland Trailblazers in the Western Conference. The Denver Nuggets sit atop the Western Conference at 43-19. and 19. Right there are the Memphis Grizzlies in second place. But the Sacramento Kings, yes, I said it, yeah. the Sacramento Kings in third place in the Western Conference in the NBA. And I can't recall since the Chris Webber and Blighty Divock days to where the Sacramento Kings are a difference maker in the NBA Western Conference especially being at the top tier of the conference. Yeah, I love those old Kings teams, Peja Stoyakovich. I, I love those old King, Kings teams. But, uh, man, you get these teams that maybe some of the younger teams, whether it's Cleveland and Utah years in the recent years, that, yeah, they're real good in the regular season, but do you trust them to make real noise in the playoffs? You kind of tend to lean to the – to the veteran-led teams, um, you know, there's some great stories. And Sacramento's won, Cleveland's won, Memphis has won. But do you trust them yet? I don't think I can pick any of them and say I trust them to, to do much. Can they win a, a series in the first round? Yeah, they can. But I, it just at some point you got to really ask yourself if you trust these younger teams that are, you know, regular season built to win a lot of games. And then playoffs come, and then you've got to go up against – you know, the teams that are always there, the players that are always there. And, you know, looking at the top of the two conferences, I can't wait tomorrow, that debut for Kevin Durant, I cannot wait to see how that goes. And they've got a, a you know, not much of an opponent to go up against during his debut tomorrow in the Hornets. But I just said as soon as that deal was made, I, that was my – it has to happen this year. You make that move. You've got to win the West this year, and I think they do. I think Kevin Durant comes back. Him with Chris Paul is going to be poetry in motion, man. I think they immediately figure out how to play together. I cannot wait to see that pairing. Well, I mean, you got a real point guard in Chris Paul, and I think the way those two guys play together is going to be beautiful, not even mentioning um, Aiden and Booker. You know, those are great players you're talking about, but I'm going to be watching the relationship between him and Chris Paul and how beautiful that's going to be. I think they figure it out immediately 
and that's my pick in the West. Um, I've been rolling with Boston in the East. You know, they just look so well-oiled. Um, but then again, there's Milwaukee, 14-game win streak they're on right now. And these teams that, that are at the top, Denver, Boston, Milwaukee, they're so well-oiled right now. And, yeah, Denver's going to be tough. I mean, we know what Jokic gives you every night, but is Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray going to be as consistent as they need to be for Denver? Um, you know, there's just really no question questions with me for the top two teams in the East. I think Philly right behind the top two is a not a huge drop-off, but definitely some bit of a drop-off between Boston and Milwaukee down to Philly. And I think in the East it's going to come down to those two teams at the top that we've got right now. But um, I love it. It's shaping, out, shaping up to be a great final run here to the playoffs. The Atlanta Hawks decide to go ahead and go in a different direction and bring in Quinn Snyder as their new head basketball coach. And I don't know, you know, you look at his time in Utah and the difference that he made in Utah, really never could get over that hump for the Utah Jazz. But I think the Atlanta Hawks, I thought that Nate McMillan would have been able to get it done for the Atlanta Hawks, but he was not, and they terminate his contract and bring in Snyder, what are your thoughts about the Hawks and their playoff hopes? Now they're in eighth, the eighth spot in the East and still trying to rise that ladder. Yeah, that was another thing. My uh, my uh, co-host on the double team, Nick Wiggins, him being the uh, Hawks fan that he is, we talked a lot about the Hawks after they made their move, uh, the relationship with Nate McMillan. That just seemed like there was something missing. There wasn't a lot of momentum with that team they were underwhelming uh, inconsistent um, reports that Trey Young was maybe not looking like the best teammate at times and uh, you know between Quinn Snyder and Ime Udoka there wasn't a wrong choice to be had between those two I guess if it was me and mailing Udoka but still Snyder's more proven than Udoka is at this point so I love it I mean now you're going to see I think a lot is going to have to be seen from Trey Young because he's got to step up. I think that team is lacking, whether it's a veteran player to provide some real leadership. I mean, we look at guys like P.J. Tucker. When he joins a team, that is a, a dude that fits in on a contending team and offers you something that is just totally invaluable, That uh, just leadership, veteran leadership. I don't think the Hawks have that. And Trey Young, I don't think he's got that in him. I don't think he's that kind of player. And, you know, it might hurt Nick a little bit on the Double Team podcast when I say that, that I just think Trey Young's missing some part of his game, um, that winning in him that I just don't think it's there all the time. Yeah, he's super talented, and that team is talented, but they've had this issue with John Collins. Are they going to trade him? That's been, been talked about so much, and I don't even know why. Well, let's just figure it out and keep him, play with him, and, you know, build something with the team you have. I think the talent is there, you know, to at least make noise. They're nowhere near a Boston or Milwaukee, but they've got to be better than they have been. Quinn Snyder has been great at developing players, kind of playing that long game with certain players. And he's a great player, or great coach to really get the most out of these guys. I think they, uh, I think you're going to learn a lot maybe about Trey Young, the person. Can he play? If you can't play for, for Quinn Snyder, then then that's going to say something about Trey Young. Um, that's going to answer a lot of questions about him as a person, I think, that uh, right now haven't been answered yet. I think it was a 
super solid hire. Couldn't have gone wrong with Udoka or Snyder. I love it for the Hawks. Well, let's look at the overall most valuable player candidate here. You're talking about Jokic, the Joker, having an opportunity to be a three-time most valuable player back-to-back-to-back. And consecutively, that's only been done a few times in the NBA. But let's talk about, do you think he'll be able to actually pull it off, or will he come up a little short? You know, he's... I don't know. It's a that's a good question, and, and talking about the MVP is, you know, I was, I think I was more team Embiid last year, um, but it's hard to argue against Jokic getting it. I just don't know if that gets watered down at some point when you're getting knocked in the playoffs earlier than you should. Maybe I know they've had their injuries to deal with Jamal Murray in the past, but. I mean, I don't know what that team would be without Jokic, or I probably do know what it would be. It would be nowhere near what they are with him. So that's the definition, man. I mean, I guess you kind of have to roll with it. But uh, keep keep getting it to him. I mean, keep getting it to him. If if he's going to be this and carry that team the way he does, you know, I love Joel Embiid. I love Jason Tatum. I love Giannis. They're all deserving players. But, you know, what is Denver without Jokic? It might be the biggest difference amongst all those guys and those teams. Well, I tell you, Root, I do appreciate your time. And, again, just so much action going on with your podcast with Nick Wiggins. And we're past the halfway point with the NBA season. You blink and it'll be time for the NBA playoffs to begin. And a lot of people say they don't watch it until the NBA Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Michael Bronner bringing you up to date on what's going on in high school basketball action. The UMS Wright Lady Bulldogs lost 56 to 36 to Priceville this afternoon. The Lady Bulldogs were down 29 to 14 at the half and weren't able to pull it out. But nonetheless, Terry Canova has done a phenomenal job with this Lady Bulldog program, and they have really gone through the gauntlet this season and really proven that they belong here in the Final Four in Birmingham. And St. Luke's, the boys, they'll be playing Friday at 1045 for a 2A Boys State Championship game. And tomorrow morning, McGill Tulin and Carla Berry will be taking on Tim Miller and Hazel Green. Hazel Green has won five consecutive state championships and I'll be on the call along with Luke Robinson on the AHSAA radio network tomorrow morning at 9 and then I will also be on the call at 10.30 as Philip Murphy and the McGill Tulin boys will be playing Buckhorn at 10.30 and Buckhorn upset the number one ranked team in the state of Alabama and Pinson Valley so that ought to be two phenomenal matchups that we look forward to seeing and McGill Tulin will have its fans here and we'll see if they're able to come away and punch their ticket to the state championship game 
team. And, of course, on Thursday, 7A Girls Foley will be taking on Sparkman at 12 o'clock p.m. The Lady Lions making their first ever trip, boys or girls, to the Final Four. And congratulations to them. And we just talked a little moment ago about the high school football news that's been going around and the buzz of high school football is that Steve Mask will be returning as the head coach of the Theodore Bobcats and I guarantee there will just be a couple of things that will have to go through and approval that will take place but Steve Mask stepping away from this Birmingham, Alabama area, coming back to Mobile, Alabama. And if he takes over the program for Theodore, again, Theodore having won a couple of region championships within the last couple of years or the last three years, and that's very impressive for Theodore. And that lack of talent, there is no lack of talent there at Theodore. It's just a matter of, them getting settled in and accustomed to Steve Mask, Michael. I know that when you came here, you didn't have an opportunity to meet Steve Mask, but he was and won multiple championships at St. Paul's and was a legendary rival to UMS Wright and Terry Curtis. But when you start talking about having a couple of state championships and bringing that tradition to Theodore High School that's already rich in tradition. Eric Collier's done a phenomenal job there. It's going to be interesting to see how Steve Mass fits down in Bobcat land. Yeah, Steve Mask uh, a little at his reign at St. Paul's, I guess, a little bit more before my time on the on the Gulf Coast. You know, Eric Collier obviously led the Bobcats to a phenomenal season this year and has done a phenomenal job for, for a while there, so it was uh, quite the surprise to hear that he was going to be leaving, but sounds like the, the program's going to be in capable hands, so... Absolutely, Michael. And, you know, a program being in capable hands is Jacksonville State. The Lady Gamecocks being led by head coach Rick Petrie. Rick Petrie will be joining us next as when I think about the Final Four here at Legacy Arena, I also have to think about one Rick Petrie as he led the Red Raiders here on a couple of occasions occasions prior to becoming the head coach at St. Paul's and South Alabama women's program. We'll catch up with Rick Petrie next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. This is George Pada, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined behind the glass down in Mobile, Alabama by Michael Brawner. And he's been taking your telephone calls and lining up the show at 251-694-1055 is how you can always call in to our show. But as I'm at Legacy Arena here in Birmingham, Alabama, watching the AHSAA state semifinals and finals action, I have to think about one Rick Petrie. And I think about Coach Rick Petrie, who was a phenomenal high school basketball coach here. I think back to when I see one of his players or someone that has BC Rain Red Raider roots along with Willie Burns, Terrence Pinckney. 
his Hillcrest Evergreen Jaguars fell a little short today against midfield. But, Coach Petrie, I know it probably seems not too long ago that you were stalking the sidelines here in Birmingham's BJCC Arena. Yes, sir, uh, Corey. And, and, you know, it, it's um, when you say not too long ago, I guess that depends on who you're talking to. Um, because, because uh, you know, because I, I, I had the fortune of, of braiding those sidelines uh, from uh, the '95, uh, the '95 tournament all the way to '98, '95, '96, '97, '98. At rain, uh, we, we, we lost in the semis in '95, uh, lost in the championship game in '96, won the title in '97, and lost the championship game again in '98. So. Great memories in that building and great memories, uh, you know, in that uh, competing in that tournament in Birmingham, uh, as, as they say, back in the day. Coach, I tell you, you know, time gets away so fast, but now that you're at Jacksonville State, I know that you... I know last season it was just one of those magical rides for you. And we'll build off of where you guys were last year. Let our listeners know, I know you spent a lot of years here as the South Alabama Lady Jaguars coach, but now you've been at Jacksonville State since 2013 and had one of your best ever seasons one year ago. That's correct. Uh, you know, of course, so, so after, you know, leaving South uh, in 2013, I was fortunate that the Jacksonville State women's job opened and uh, was able to secure it. Um, now, you know, at South, I mean, it's, it's uh, not a, you know, a mystery to people who remember 10 years ago, uh, you know, I, I, I was uh, I was let go because of the, you know, the thought process that, uh, that they wanted to win more than we were winning. You know, my last uh, couple of years at South won 17 games, so um, that that wasn't considered enough, and so uh, was let go. And and I was fortunate enough that the JSU job opened, and I've been at Jacksonville State. This is my tenth year, uh, so I've now been a Division One head women's basketball coach for 20. This is my 23rd season. That I'm finishing up. And um, and that's after you know being a head boys high school coach in Mobile for six years uh, at, at both BC Rain as you know in St. Paul's spent two years at St. Paul's um, so uh, yeah so I mean but but for the, again for a decade I've been here at Jacksonville State and uh, yeah and we, we've had a reasonable amount of success last year was a special year for us as you mentioned we won 24 games uh, we're 13 and three in our conference won a divisional crown that our league uh, the A Sun which is the league we're currently in. Um, was uh, a split into two divisions last year. We won our division and then went on to the championship game of the conference tournament, lost to Florida Gulf Coast University. Um, this year, the, uh, the league is not in divisions, and there's 14 teams. And then next year, a lot of people may not realize this, we're going to move to Conference USA next year. So Jacksonville State uh, will be in Conference USA next season. So um, uh, th this, year's, this year hasn't been as good as last year. Uh, we're 15 and 13 currently, and we're eight and nine are in league and we have uh, one league game left here tomorrow uh, at Stephen in Deland, Florida and uh, so hopefully we can even things up and get to 500 and then, then get some momentum heading into the conference tournament. Coach, it's all about that March Madness approach, and anything can happen when you get into that conference tournament. And the great thing is, you know, it's kind of survive in advance, but like you said, finishing up the regular season is so very important. Finishing up on a high note, and you guys are on the road. But I, I did not realize that Jacksonville State was changing conference affiliations next year, and that's probably sometimes good to, to get – 
a new recruiting base or to be seen in new areas and create new rivalries as well? Well, sure. And, and, and I mean, we're, we're rising. We're raising our profile. You know, we, we're, from a football standpoint, we were an FCS school. We're now going to be FBS. So we're going to be, you know, competing for the same title as an example in the state that South Alabama and Troy do. Uh, you know, I mean, Conference USA is basically, if you want to call it, a cousin to, to the Sun Belt. Um, you know, so we're going to be in a league that, that features Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky and UTEP, uh, FIU, um, Louisiana Tech, and then the newcomers to Conference USA will be ourselves, Jacksonville State, Liberty will be joining uh, Conference USA. And, and let me tell you, Liberty is in the A-Sun with us uh, this year, and we've been conference uh, uh, brothers with them for the last two years. And let me tell you something, Liberty, is, they've got it going on now. They've got a ton of money, and they got some unbelievable facilities that we've uh, played in, and, and they're good at everything. Uh, I mean, literally. Um, but, uh, mm-hmm. but, but uh, Liberty will be in league, and then New Mexico State is another, and Sam Houston State. Those will be the newcomers to Conference USA. So uh, it'll be a nine-team league next year, and the following year they'll add Kennesaw State to make it a ten-team league. And we're all replacing a number of schools that are leaving the CUSA to go to the American. For instance, UAB is leaving to go to the American, uh, Rice, FAU, North Texas, Texas San Antonio, and some others. Well, Coach, we're talking with Rick Petrie, the head women's basketball coach at Jacksonville State University. And Coach Petrie just finished up practice and was gracious enough with his time to join us here on the final drive. Coach, when do you know exactly where you will be seated already or will that game tomorrow, the regular season finale, determine the conference seedings that are getting ready to start? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, so we will be either we have, this year uh, the A Sun, the league we're currently in, has 14 teams in it, and so after tomorrow we're going to be either six, seven, or eight, depending upon the outcome of our game. Um, and so, and 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 six, uh, six would be obviously the best case scenario for us. Uh, and and it's something. And the reason why it's a big deal is that the A Sun is only taking 10 teams to the tournament so four teams won't make it wow so the six the, the sixth seed goes automatically to the quarterfinals where the seventh seed has to play an opening round game um so but there's a big difference between six and seven so we've got to win tomorrow and then we've got to get a little bit of help and if we do that then we'll finish sixth and that's that's what that's what our mission is tomorrow Coach, is is it a situation to where when you only invite 10 teams and the other four don't make it? I've seen the junior college basketball format kind of adapt the same process. Is it a money-saving situation? Why don't all teams have an opportunity to compete? Because sometimes a 14 can be the one, but it doesn't happen often. Is that just a budget-saving process? Yeah, you know, the A-Sun, um, you know, it, it's, uh, listen, we, we, we've had a nice little two-year uh, stint in it, but, uh, yes, the A-Sun does make some decisions that are based on finances. And so uh, one thing I'll say about Conference USA, the league we're headed to, everybody makes it at Conference USA. So, so you know, so that there's no there's no considerations there. We're, we know we're going to be in the conference tournament there. And so, uh, but in the ASUN, yes, the, the ASUN conference does make some decisions based on uh, financial considerations. And the other thing about the ASUN tournament, Corey, that a lot of people don't realize is it's not really a tournament. It's more like playoffs because all the games are played on campus sites. It's just like the NFL playoffs. 
so, so you know, the higher seed hosts. Now, this year, the 7, 8, 9, and 10 seeds will actually travel to 1 and 2, and uh, they'll play a game on Saturday, and the winner will play 1 or 2 on Sunday. 3 will host 6, 4 will host 5, and, uh, and that those games will be Sunday, and then the semifinals will be Wednesday. It's reseeded like the NFL playoffs. And those, those, uh, those semifinals will be Wednesday, and the championship game will be on Saturday of next week. So uh, it's kind of, you know, it's, like I said, it's more like playoffs than an actual tournament in the A-Sun. I do like that format as well because, again, it's extra gained revenue, and you earned it. If you're the higher seed, you have an opportunity to have that extra home game, and I do like that fact. But we're talking with Rick Petrie. He is the head women's basketball coach for Jacksonville State. And, Coach, I just want to wish you the best, and it's always a pleasure rapping with you. And, again, you, as I watch this state tournament here in the championship games that will be Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you were a state champion at BC Rain in 1997. You led that Red Raider program behind Kendrick Cleveland and others to that state championship or DIP. And you know what that school and community means. Coach, have you had an opportunity to see the pictures of the new football stadium that's actually on campus at BC Rainy? Could you have possibly imagine that when you were coaching there as well? I, I have seen them. I saw them on social media actually yesterday, and I was in complete shock, <laughs> um, you know, because yeah. it's just because it looked beautiful. And uh, it's, it's something that I'm sure the alumni at BC Rain are excited about. And as, listen, as, as an as a individual who coached there four years, and I said it when I left BC Rain to go to St. Paul's, I'm a Red Raider for life. You know, I mean, I, I was there four years, and it's four of the greatest years in my, in my coaching professional life. Uh, you know, I, I still communicate with a lot of the guys that I coached in that, that four-year stretch at BC Rain. I loved my time there. I loved coaching those guys. And, and I'm not going to lie to you, I loved winning. And we won a lot, and uh, and of course we did win a state title, and and uh, and that was very gratifying and rewarding, and and, uh, and 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 I have a lot of affection for BC Rain and those kids, and again was excited to see the new facility, uh, the new football facility they have on the campus. Well, Coach, again, you guys play tomorrow, and let everybody know who you guys are playing and at what time, because a lot of these games now you're able to check out on ESPN Plus, and that is a plus because I'm able to always keep up with you guys. Absolutely. Well, tomorrow we'll play actually an early game. We'll play a, a 1 o'clock Eastern, so it'll be noon Central on ESPN Plus at Stetson. And uh, so, you know, if, if people have an opportunity at lunchtime to – but tune in. We'd, we'd, we'd love to have them uh, take a peek at us. Coach Rick Petrie joining us on the final drive. And, Coach, I'll continue to keep up with you, especially as March Madness comes about and we fill out our brackets. I know that you'll probably fill out one, too, and I'll check on your bracket as we get ready to begin March Madness here in a couple of weeks. And always a pleasure talking to you, Coach, and take care of yourself. Great talking to you, Corey. Thank you. Rick Petrie, head women's basketball coach for Jacksonville State University, joining us here on the final drive. And we'll put the finishing touches on Tuesday's show when we come back here on WNSP 105.5. My name is Robert Brazil. 
I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP.